boy, oh boy, oi, oh oi, how am I still tired when I woke up at 10 a.m.? Yeah, I don't know. How, what time did you go to bed last night? Like 12, 1230. Uh, 12.30. Uh, that's you, usually um, when I go to bed. Do you like, uh, do you take a lot of drugs? No, lifelong goal, okay, <laughs> to go to bed at 11. That is my goal someday <laughs> to actually be able to fall asleep at 11. You've never done that before? Ever? I just, I got to start waking up earlier, you know, with Jules mm. on the show last week, she was talking about self health and I was just sitting there like, yeah, I don't take care of myself very well. Yeah. Yeah. No, I feel that though, but I think there's a certain art to operating in that mode of not being, not being like so tired that you're drained, but not being like. Hundred percent. You know, well, what my I mean? my body like love, running at eighty percent. I is a good love, thing. dude. I love sleeping. That's the problem. Mm, mm. Like I skipped my run this morning just so I could get two extra hours. Mm. I was like, yeah, it's worth it. It's worth it. Sleep <laughs> a little bit longer. The problem is I don't burn a lot of calories when I sleep. Too bad, huh? No, I think you gain calories, don't you? No, you don't. No, oh, okay. I don't think you do. That's not true. That's why that whole intermediate that's fasting not true. thing it's impossible. Is, is popular, but yeah, that's besides yeah. well, the point. But you metabolize, well, isn't it like if you eat right before you go to bed, then you don't metabolize that well? Yeah, I should, probably shouldn't have eaten all that kettle corn last night. <laughs> I have bad dietary habits, but that is besides the point. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Everything Comes From Something. My name is Isaac Ransom. And I'm Cameron Tuttle. And this is episode 46, Dang. a complete train wreck of content because it's finals week and <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing. My brain isn't working. I have an online final right after this, Cameron. Really? Yeah. Is that what you have to do? No, I, I have a meeting. I have work first mm. till like 830 mm. and then I have a final to take online. Uh, and you have to do it before midnight? Yeah. If people don't know, and people wouldn't know this because we didn't say it, um, we're recording at like 11.30 a.m., which is the earliest I think we've ever recorded since that lost episode that we didn't put the up. The one episode we never will release. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Dead Boys recording on a mic. That was like what? Our old episode nine, I think. No, I think it was like episode three. We have this unreleased episode about The Office that we constantly say we'll maybe re-record, but it just sounds so boring to do now. No, I don't think we will. Yeah, I think it's dead to us. Yeah. We could just summarize what it was about right now. It was about how, um, wasn't it about how how British comedy and American comedy is different no. or something? We were talking about dead, deadpan, deadpan versus uh, dry humor and comparing The Office, uh, Parks and Rec, and Arrested Development. Yeah. And how it was like a scale of funniness to story and how yes, uh, yes. Parks and Rec falls under the category of story over funny and Arrested Development is funny over story. And then oh, it's like absurdity. The, yeah. yeah. And the office is in the middle. So it's it's the great the great um the, the great peacekeeper. There you go. Boom. Episode done. I bet you you're confused <laughs> by reading the title of this episode, and it's because the content is is probably not gonna be that hot. It's gonna be Karen and I just giggling to ourselves about nothing. Episode forty six is about overreading hidden political commentary and entertainment for your entertainment. What's funny about it is it actually is kind of an epidemic. Like if you read reviews, they are always shoving in sort of their political ideas about what the what the movie is saying and and like sometimes that's actually appropriate there are certain um there are certain lenses that you can actually read films with um 
but for the most part, it's like they're really just shoving things in where they don't belong, and and I find it really annoying. But that's why that's why we're gonna do it today because it's, it's fun. fun. Yeah, it's fun. I I'll, let me just run down what the episode is gonna be like. We're gonna talk about a couple facets of entertainment. I think there's only one video game in in this list for now, um, but who knows? Maybe we'll have others pop up in our head as we're talking. We're going to talk through a bunch of them, and then probably the majority of the last half is Cameron and I attempting to interpret the the Star Wars prequels, because <laughs> what's weird about those films is that they are trying to be politically read into. Well, they're absolutely terribly uh, made. Like, they, they, they make absolutely no sense, but... Behind all of the all of the nonsense is like an actual interesting like political conspiracy going on, which I think is really funny. And no one picks up on to it because it's because wa- it's poorly written. You're That's watching why. it and you're like Star Wars lightsaber. I mean, let's <laughs> let's be real. Like the the beginning of the beginning of uh, Star Wars with the original <laughs> trilogy, there is like. A political setting going on you yeah know, rebellion course. versus an imperial empire well right? and why it works in the in the in the original star wars you know star wars episode four is that there's imagery that's very similar to images that we understand and know right like like it makes an allegory to sort of to world war ii and that era um, lots of the guns lots of the sort of images of of people in the ships and um and and then you know there's there's lots of references and homages to to world war ii yeah i mean stormtrooper is a nazi reference right exactly so. exactly um so you know there's there's all these things going on where you in, intuit what what the politics are right you don't have to really be explained on what's going on. I mean, I guess there's that sequence where um, Darth Vader blows up Alderaan, and that's kind of big. That's pretty um, vicious. Yeah, yeah. I mean... You think about it, and, and it's like, whoa, that's... Like, he he did that, like, like on a dot. He didn't even, like, like think about it. Like, the ramifications. He just, like, blows up a planet. It probably would have jacked up the entire solar system. Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah, you know. yeah. Imagine just nuking a country so that you could find the rebel base. Like, like that's that's like basically what he does. He just nukes a country, and then they, you look at the new like the Force Awakens, and they're like, nuke six of them, just get rid oh, of yeah, six exactly. of the planets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's ridiculous. This is just going to be a Star Wars podcast. I'm just warning you. But before we get to the Star Wars stuff and the other facets of entertainment i've probably already said facets before huh faucets <laughs> i yeah i so when i listen to this show i listen to it over and over and over again well not not just like i'll listen to one episode you right? just love hearing your own voice no no, no no i hate it and the reason i do is because i catch myself saying the same word mm. over and over again what, so what I'll, is it it doesn't matter it's like i'll find a word that i like and for three minutes, I'll use that word. So I'll say, like, <laughs> very strange. And then I'll say very strange again to describe it probably a minute later. This is why I listen to the show, Cameron. That's very because strange. Because I am not good at speaking on the mic. <laughs> I'm trying to get better. I'm trying not to repeat myself as often. Yeah. yeah. Hopefully for your own sake. But before we get to the topic, huge shout out to our Patreon producers, Darren O'Neill, Kiana Layap, and Eric and Ariel Walk. Thank you guys for supporting us at the executive level. If you want to throw a couple bucks our way, check us out at patreon.com slash ECFS podcast. 
And of course, tell a friend. That's how podcasts grow. We got normal social media stuff, but we never post. Although I did post this week about having our special guest, Jules. That was the last episode. You can check it out. Um, hopefully, we're going to get better at posting with the rebrand. Don't forget, episode 50, we are taking a break. That is just a reminder. You can cry while you miss us for two weeks. I don't know what we're going to be doing. I'm going to cry. But hopefully it's something important. I don't think <laughs> I don't think so. I'm thinking Cameron will do like one week of vacation and then the next next wait. The next week we should have some meetings and figure out what I think there are things that we should do before that, but we can we can talk about that off mic. Yes. Um, I tried to answer actually Darren O'Neill sent us a question for the show mm-hmm. last week and I was talking about what we were going to do, but you can hear the answer on the show. I just talked about like a few things that I know we're probably going to do for sure, but hopefully we can do more. That's the point of the break. So yeah, we got to jump into this topic, Cameron. Let's jump right into I'm it. I'm loosey goosey. Uh, that's good. I, I like that. I didn't, uh, we, do we have any questions from our patrons? No, we first? forgot to even reach out to our patrons. Oh yeah. Well. But it doesn't matter because every time I reach out, I get no reply. That's, that's <laughs> the status. Ke- Kiana. Kiana, Kiana will get back to us. But every time I text Kiana, she's like, I'm very, very busy that's true. and I will get you your questions uh, as soon as I can. And she's very sweet. Um, but then she sends me this huge paragraph of information. I was like, wow, you like put a lot of time into this. I feel bad for asking you for questions because you just told me how busy you were. And then you put all this effort into sending us content. Kiana cares. She's given me lots of ideas, that, which is, I think, things well, we got to talk that's about. That's why she's a producer. Dude. Exactly. Exactly. That's why she's, 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 she's a, a big, very good producer. Yes. That is for sure. Same slash, with Darren. Slash seducer. I saw Darren uh, at Starbucks this last weekend. It was brief, but it was good to see him mm. really quick. Mm. All right, let's get into the show. We are going to be just reading into stuff for no reason, for, just for you. And so I want to start this off by saying Avengers Infinity War is definitely a political allegory for abortion. Um, <laughs> it's just about overpopulation and how we need to get the uh, the planet to be smaller and stuff. I'm shaking my head internally at you. <laughs> this is probably the worst joke in the world. That one, that didn't make any sense. That was just to offend Balanced, people. like all things. <laughs> the Thanos memes are good, though. The Thanos memes are really good. Yeah. Oh, I can't remember. what I, I think someone made a, a Thanos joke at my house, but what's it was the, probably inappropriate. So what's I won't the tell deal it. with um, overpopulation being a concern? Because I've never been concerned by it yeah well i mean there is there are finite resources obviously um but somehow slash some way we've we've always sort of found the um the way out of that either by fire right like the the plague happened and then there was no population in europe oh whoops that that was that was uh, it killed a third of europeans so it's terrible um and then but but the big one that that happened recently was well there are two big ones one was peak oil do you remember this no you were not a not alive so neither were you <laughs> it was like 1970s around the same time there were two simultaneous um, peak oil which was they were saying we're gonna run out of oil reserves right um, we're gonna we're gonna drain up all the oil and then you know we're not gonna be, have any way to fuel our cars and fuel our our large aircrafts and whatnot, blah, blah, blah. Everybody's going to die. Um, and then there was, um, we're going to run out of food because there's a finite amount of 
farmland and pr- produce that comes out of that farmland. Right. And there was a, we, we changed the way that we farm, um, or th- some, some guy like almost right before a big crisis happened. Um, he, he figured out a way to farm where it produces much more. I forget his name. I should probably should have looked it up, but Oh, camera. Well, you didn't know we were going to talk about yeah, I know. population. Um, so that was when the, everybody was kind of scared about overpopulation. Um, and that was, that was like, I don't know, 3 billion people ago. So look where we are now. Yeah. That's what I always think about. Like historically, we've always been growing pretty much. Yeah. But eventually there's a cap. I mean, I, I understand the, well, we got SpaceX taking us to Mars, taking yeah. us to Thanos and space. What? Yeah. Is it appropriate to colonize, um, to colonize Mars? I feel like at this point, I mean, even just my last week on Twitter, I just, I feel like more people would be ready to jump on a spaceship to Mars than ever. I saw a Guardian article about how the the biggest crisis facing Mars colonization is nationalism. (laughs) What? (laughs) Which really made me laugh because... Man, you're just dying. Oh man, I'm sorry. It's just so ridiculous. Uh, it's it's really hilarious. Well, I think that, le- that leads us great into um, less of a joke, more more of an actual topic. Sorry about the Infinity War crap. <laughs> We're gonna get back to Marvel movies, but I wanted to mention as you're talking about nationalism, I've been playing the Bioshock games. Mm-hmm. Finally, yeah. Um, I have not played Infinite, but I know what it's about, and it's about extreme nationalism almost. Yeah. Uh, it, it takes place in this dystopian. Area and, and Colombia, so, yeah. So these games are pretty heavy-handed in their political it's, commentary. And, and Colombia is based on sort of like the almost like founding fathers, religious iconography of of the founding fathers. Yeah, yeah. It's so it's a first-person shooter, almost like adventure story game, and you kind of walk through this world that's been created. And you're right, like the founding fathers are idolized, and it is like this nationalist cult. Yeah, almost. Yeah, yeah. It's a it's in the a, sky. Yeah, it's a city in the sky. So, yeah, yeah like th- those games are pretty in your face. I mean, we don't really have to overread into those, um, but I just wanted to mention them because of my personal experience with Bioshock, the first game. Um, I know we talked about video games just a couple episodes ago, but this game, dude, I've been waiting to play mm. for a long time because so many people were like, "Wow, Bioshock One, it's so good!" Like. You, you just have to play it. You have to experience it. And so I've never actually taken the time to sit down and play it. And I haven't ha- spoiled anything for myself. That's great. And yeah. so I've, I've, I've sat down and started playing it. There has not been a game that has just sort of like encaptured me or even raptured me in <laughs> <laughs> uh, its environment so well for being so old. Too. The mm, game yeah. is pretty old. So I'm playing the remastered version on PC. I wouldn't know what difference it makes because I never played the first one, right? Yeah. Um, but man, just the game is about this city underwater, which if you know, I'm terrified of the ocean. I just yeah. It's it's deep underwater, like this plane crashes and you're you find this lighthouse in the middle of the ocean, just incredible artwork. And then this commentary comes like, oh, welcome to Rapture. That's why we said that joke. Welcome to Rapture. Welcome to Rapture. It's this place where you can be anything that you want to be. It's basically 
an overdramatized civilization of libertarianism that fully leans into libertarianism and then it falls into anarchism. Yeah, it's like a it. breakaway um, libertarian paradise cult movement. Yeah, yeah. paradise that turns into a hellscape. Yeah, exactly. So really, really interesting. I'm just projecting my own personal experience, Cameron. But it's time to overread. It is time to overread into some stuff. Where do you Where do you want to start before we get to the prequels? Oh, oh, we're we're moving on from rapture. We're rapturing from rapture. Yeah, because we don't have to overread much into it. Yeah, it well, hands it to you on a on a spoon. Well, the interesting thing about about a lot of these, or I mean, the, and the next one that I'd want to talk touch on briefly is Game of Thrones. But like the interesting thing about these is that they actually do have significant political commentary. They're not like you don't you don't even have to have to put anything into it. Um, and I think that's that's what makes them interesting and. Um, and I don't know. It makes them relevant. Here's yeah. Here I think here's the point we're trying to get at before we overread into some of this stuff, right? If you have to overread into political commentary in media or whatever it is you're consuming, it's probably not supposed to be there in the first place. Right. 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 It's probably not meaning what you think it means. Yeah. <laughs> well, it, and then then there's another philosophical question, and I I know this was supposed to be a joke, but there's a philosophical question about, um, what should you take from from when you when you watch a movie? Should you read, um, should you read with your own experience in mind, or should you take the 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 images or the words at face value? Should you take them as the artist intended, or should you should you interpret them in the way that that you believe? Um, and I think there's a there's a balancing act there because, to a certain degree, I I get very frustrated when it comes to people saying, um, you know, well, you know, there's who was it who said um, art uh, art lives in the mind of 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 the audience or whatever, basically, basically it's uh, paraphrasing, but basically they're saying, um, there is no intention. Um, there is no intention from the artist. It's all about interpretation. It's all about the interpretation of the art, um, which I think is wrong. But then to a certain degree, I'm like, I kind of don't care what, what the artist really means when he, you know, when he says something, I, I, I care about what it is in sort of the context of, not just the world that he creates, but also the context of the the world that we're interpreting in. Yeah, I I actually want to bring up a show that you don't really you can take at face value or really like dive into, and it's almost I think most of the Star Trek TV shows. Mm. Um, I have a lot of experience watching what is it? Which one? Last Generation. Star Trek Enterprise. Voy into the, the Voyager. No, Enterprise is the one I watch. No. And a lot of people like didn't like Enterprise, but it's still uh, well. I I don't know if I can say that actually. It seemed like a more dumbed down Star Trek for most people, and mm. it's more modernized. But I really enjoyed my time watching Enterprise, and it still sort of faces these larger political questions. But you could take it at face value, right? You could mm. see it as the uh, Enterprise crew, you know, just interacting with some conflict they came up with. But usually, they're very well methodically put out so that you could be like oh, this group kind of reminds me of another group that I've experienced or another group I've seen in the real world. And suddenly that connection in your brain just inherently makes the story deeper because 
you make that connection mm. and now the conflict has more weight to it. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think that's a very tasteful way of infusing political stuff. And I think most people know that about Star Trek. At least the first the first um the first season is that what it is I, I don't know have you watched any of it at all none absolutely none oh wow yeah no star trek is is pretty great in terms of like its political depth it's just a little cheesy and and the first one is very very like old <laughs> it just it doesn't look as great yeah as yeah, it could yeah. but yeah um yeah well i mean what's interesting so me and me and juzo yesterday we watched this movie called the beach bum um it's a harmony korean movie and he's like this um he he's part of a wave of like independent filmmakers who are who are kind of like outside the outside the mainstream i guess you could say Hmm. um he's very he made spring breakers um which was very polarized like a lot of people really liked it a lot of people didn't really like it um but uh i mean in his early days he made films like gummo and kids i've seen kids which is a really disturbing movie um i wouldn't recommend it um (laughs) but uh basically he's he's kind of like an extreme filmmaker one of these kind of like extreme indie filmmakers and the beach bum was really interesting because you could there's there's hints of irony along along the film. It's about this guy who is like kind of a deadbeat, but everybody thinks he's like he's like so talented. Everybody keeps calling him a genius. He's a poet, um, uh, but he like he like just goes around. He basically lives like a bum. Um, but he he write at the end of the movie he writes this book, this poetry book, and he wins a Pulitzer <laughs> just out of nowhere. And then he, um, he like, he like inherits a bunch of money. Um, and he, I, I don't know if you want to spoil it. I, 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 do you care? I don't care. It's not really, I, I wouldn't necessarily recommend going to see it, but, um, yeah. uh, he, so it's spoilers, I guess for the beach bum, if you're going to watch it. Um, <laughs> He he inherits a bunch of money and then he floats away on a he puts it all in cash on a boat and he floats away and then he and then he sets it on fire <laughs> and, he, and he floats away and so the end of the movie is just this like um it's it's almost like like this criticism of of the sort of um of of the indie movement that he's kind of a part of. Um, oh, which I is inter- interesting because he's like he's but th- again this could just be my interpretation of of the thing right i'm i'm imposing a certain in, a lens a certain worldview on his movie that i don't know if he necessarily intended but he's he suggests i think what he's suggesting is that all these people are talentless hacks but they're given so much praise and applause and they live these these horrible lifestyles and they waste away their lives and maybe there's a glimmer of talent but they're so over um they're so over appreciated like and and he's he's almost like turning it on, on himself he's like i'm part of that too yeah. you know uh, because harmony korean is i mean he makes movies that are garbage basically right <laughs> you know right. and so um i don't know it's it's like the question for me is is when we when we interpret something are we are we taking things for 
for what they were intended to be, or are we taking things from from our own worldview and and imposing them on on the on the art? I mean, I think there, like I said, I think there's a balance. Yeah, and I, I think that's why we're not taking this episode too seriously because. Yes, exactly we know that a lot of people take their own interpretation or their own experiences and apply it to the art that they interpret. And then it almost becomes unbearable to listen to. Mm. And I'm sure maybe some of you guys are listening to Cameron's interpretation of the film already that you haven't even seen. Right. And you're like, Oh, that's really reading into it. Right. <laughs> but, but that's kind of the point of this episode where like, it's funny how content creators like ourselves come in and review something. And then we try to derive some deeper meaning so that we can push some sort of, you know, value to the content we're creating. And yes, I think there's a, t a time and a place for that and it can be quite entertaining, but you got to take it with a grain of salt. Yeah. I so, do think it is fun though. That's, it that's, is fun. that's the thing is like when I'm interpreting, like we were asked to do these interpretations of films all, all throughout my college days. And those were the best essays. I loved doing that because, because you, there's basically no wrong answer. All you have to do is support it with evidence from the film. And, and what I like to do was, what? <laughs> what were you going to say? No, no, go finish and what, then I'll, I'll comment. What I like to do is I like to bring in things from, from outside sources. That's why I read a lot of philosophy books. Is I could bring in, um, bring in philosophical literature to, to use that as a lens to analyze the film. I think it's way more interesting if you're, if you're taking, taking almost like a third party, um, a third, a neutral arbiter, almost, you're taking it and you're saying, okay, does this sort of have references? Is this trying to promote a certain philosophy? Is this trying to promote a certain worldview? What is sort of the meta narrative of this, of this work of art? Right. Um, I think that's, that's very interesting. And then you get into the question of, well, there are no meta narratives and postmodernism and whatnot, but we don't have to. Yeah, it's that. an endless spiral. Yeah, my, my my experience with interpretation, and I think most people comes down from like an English class. Um, you really have to read into these essays, and I remember feeling almost similar to what this guy's movie you're talking about with the burning boat. Whatever, what's it called? The Beach Bum. The Beach Bum. You read into it a certain way, but I kind of agree with it, where it's like. We read Grapes of Wrath, and, and I have a, a found respect for, for that book. But at the same time, we're reading it, and I was like, this is unpalatable. Mm. At, the, at the sense where it's like, it is so groggy artistic that it almost means nothing to me. And so I, I tried to prove a point in my English class by answering one of our questions that was a long interpretation question about, like, it was basically like, why don't you try um, to find some sort of like symbolism or an allegory? And I was like, I'm going to pick the stupidest thing I can pick and I'm going to prove it. And so I chose the porta potties. Uh, there's a scene with porta potties in the Grapes of Wrath where they decide that they are going to, they, they actually get to use a toilet for the first time in a long time. Mm. And I write this long description about how the, t the porta potties are this wonderful allegory about how, you know, life is hopeful with this sort of thing <laughs> and that it expresses, you know, some sort of joy, excuse me, my bad, Bless um, some sort of joy to come in the future, right? Uh, joy with like luxury or things mm. like that. And I just wrote this long thing about porta potties, literally about how the glistening white bull meant something great. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 
my teacher loved it. He was like, this is incredible interpretation. I love it. I'm sitting there. I'm like, this is BS. Like, it <laughs> it's stupid. Like, yeah, yeah, it, yeah. Like the porta potties mean nothing. They're just porta potties, mm. you know? What's well? What's really interesting too? It's it's so funny that you say that because I, there are so many examples of that in, um, in like the essays that I had to write. Whereas I, I just picked something and I was like, "This is about uh, I don't know," and then uh, you know, so like I took a horror film my last or a horror a horror film class my last semester, and one of the movies was The Babadook. Excellent movie, uh, but I made the argument that at the beginning she takes away his toys, and that's about a mother castrating um, the the son. There's like this element of um, the the mother not being a, not being able to um, not being able to uh, accept that her son. Uh, is a boy and so she she smothers him in a certain way and and it's like it's like ridiculous in a way that that you don't really you don't really see how people can take it too seriously but it's also fun because because I I liked making those leaps if I could back it up I would I would say it you know what I mean like and and to some degree it's like it's not invalid that it's not necessarily that that the porta potty analogy is invalid right what what you're saying could be true in that in that um the hopefulness of life actually presents itself in a um it <laughs> the hopefulness of life presents itself often in um the small things the the small and and what you might almost consider the most dire things, right? The, the this the fact that they found hope in this porta potty um, really shows the desperation that they they had as a family. Yeah, but and my you're point, smirking at my me. point being is that it's just BS, right? But but Here's is a, that is that BS or is that? It's <sighs> just like the title. You're. I think there's a level of overreading <laughs> it. It was it was work put into something that isn't worth the work being put into. It mm. is the way I see it, right? For example, when we were talking about content to even talk about for this episode, this episode's already becoming something different than we expected, <laughs> right? We were talking about Stranger Things because we were like, oh, what's a pop culture thing that we know that we could overread into for fun? And we said that Stranger Things is an argument uh, against government. It's anti-government. It's anti-censorship. Yeah. And, yeah. and so the whole show, we basically just derived this idea that the upside down is truth. Yes. <laughs> and that the government is hiding the truth and they're doing everything they can to, to make contain sure. it. But well, and, and it's, it's not necessarily that the, that, the, I mean, I wouldn't even say that the upside down is truth. The upside down is, um, is the expression of, of a certain type of of speech that let's say the government doesn't want to to approve or it's it's a it's a certain underground yeah um within the within the universe that that the government is trying to contain and as you think about our explanation of what stranger things is you might be thinking oh wow i could see that you know the upside down's kind of scary but at the same time there's like value in exploring what's in there right? right oh my goodness it's merging into our world even though the government like is trying to suppress it oh my goodness like wow i can really see that that draw on conclusion but it means nothing we came up with it in five seconds okay? well but also also what's interesting about the upside 
upside down is do you do you know this clown world meme are you in no, on this no i don't know what that okay, is okay clown world honk honk um there's this meme that that um has been circulating in certain particular circles about how we live in a clown world how things are things are backwards things are um upside down and so there's there's this interpretation of of Str- you could you could find an interpretation of stranger things about how um how when things are flipped around um things start to act uh in 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 the opposite ways that you would expect right and so you you could make the you could make the argument and people are making this argument right now that we live in the upside down, that we live in a world that is, uh, where the, the normal reaction to what you would consider, you, you know, what you would consider the normal reaction is actually the opposite. Um, this is just like, to me, it sounds like a waste of mental capacity. I don't know. I think it's interesting. I think there's, there's stuff I agree with you that that a lot of it is trite. I, I'll I'll give you an example. I'll give you an example. When we read Hamlet in um, in high school, yes. in senior year, there, we spent I think we spent like two days talking about the flowers that Ophelia was carrying. And I was like, there, no, uh, uh-uh. <laughs> there's absolutely no right. way. We spent that like we, six months on that book. Yeah, yeah. Well, we did too. Yeah, it was it was ridiculous. But at a certain point, I was like. I'm sorry, but Shakespeare did not intend to 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 imbue meaning in the types of flowers that that Ophelia is carrying to her death. And you know, like, what I'm you, sorry, you know I'm what, sorry, I just don't believe that. You know what drives me even more nuts is that there are professionals and and extremely educated scholars who are so close to it that they don't even see it. They sit there and they study these books and these and and, and they're like there's so it's endless meeting. See, we're it's in clown depth, world, <laughs> you know. And they just they just constantly study it. And it's like, dude, if the if the if the roses are red, that means they're red, <laughs> you know. Like like, granted, you know, if you listen to this show, Cameron and I are always saying it's good to think for yourself. And it's not like Cameron and I don't sit around and you know stare at walls and be like dude whoa like what if this is the meaning of it you know like i think it's important for you to have those conversations cameron's not a stoner i just want to throw that out there (laughs) um but like there there has to come to a certain point where you need to be like what (laughs) like what is the conclusion with our exploration of the mind yeah yeah where you're where you're like okay like what is how much can you derive meaning out of it's like squeezing a sponge you know right like the you know no offense to the, the people that consider themselves this but you know you know someone who's become like red pilled <laughs> or almost like an extreme leftist right yeah, yeah they just have lost all grasp of like neutral interpretation well you could just say extremists yeah. like it doesn't matter necessarily what side you're on but that yes it, the extreme political fact i wouldn't even say it's like neutral ground necessarily i think it's like people who um who have lost any tangible grasp on reality you know what i mean they're in the clown world they're in clown world yeah i think that's what it is um, but, uh, we should talk about this conspiracy in star Wars because I'm really, don't just 
turn that engine off for a second, okay? <laughs> we have a few more things to talk about. One of the other uh, funny ideas that we came up was <laughs> that, <laughs> that Fortnite and the Battle Royale genre is a representation of our political climate. Right, uh, It's yeah. every man for themselves. It's actually just Twitter. Everybody's trying to take yeah. down each other. Yeah, like Twitter, the video game is yeah. is Fortnite. You I pick think. up you pick up followers. There's endless memes of people dancing. You and pick things up like that. You pick up like little you know things to make your health your, better. Yeah, right. You you pick up stuff and then you die. And then you die. <laughs> and that's what happens. And that's only Twitter. only one can win. <laughs> only one can win. Um, something and else. that's Donald Trump. <laughs> So uh, another one we were drawing as like a funny conclusion was The Incredibles. This is like not as heavy handed, I think, even if you read into it. But the whole idea that if everyone's special, no one is. Mm. And I've always loved that line in the movie because it's very. Everybody's super. Oh, yeah, it's super. Yeah, it's it's very eerie. Right. Because you start applying that that line to a bunch of things in your life. And you're like, well, if everybody had this then it wouldn't really mean anything anymore. Right, right, right. But yeah. that's like human history, right? Like pe- everybody has a car now, or it seems like... Uh, like Everybody's every- got an iPhone. Yeah, everyone's yeah. got an iPhone. I remember that, and and people are going to hate me for saying this, but I remember that the like poor kids or the poorer kids at my elementary school, because we live in a very wealthy area. We're in a bubble. We know it. Oh, yeah. Like the, the poorer kids in, in my neighborhood, they all had iPhones. And I remember as a kid... You know, I live in a middle class house. I didn't have an iPhone. I'm looking at these, you know, poor kids that have iPhones and I'm like, something's weird. <laughs> like something's <laughs> not right. I don't understand what's going on, but um yeah. I'm not gonna read into that one. <laughs> yeah. Uh and I know we mentioned Marvel movies. They actually recently have had some interesting political ideas. Thanos is is more for entertainment's sake. I don't think you really need to read into what Thanos is saying. He's a compelling villain, well-written. But uh, Black Panther actually got a lot of political coverage, I think just inherently because, you know, it's a black cast and there's that Black Lives movement and, and things like that. But there was there is something interesting about the political I- ideology in that movie. It's fictionalized. It's not relating that to Black Lives Matter at all, but y- you know what I'm saying. Right? Yeah, yeah. Um, Michael B. Jordan has a interesting story and arc in that film. Yeah, well, I mean, one of the one of the really interesting themes that kind of circles the whole movie is this um, tension between sort of um, isolationism or or na- you could say even nationalism and um, you know a more global uh, vision of the world, as in like. I mean, the the question in that movie is, should we keep our society a secret or should we, and keep our, you know, our resources to ourselves or should we branch out and help other people? Um, <clears throat> and I, I think in the conclusion, it's kind of like a, a very like milquetoast um, resolution to that. Yeah, it's a Disney ending. Yeah, yeah. Because right. they go to the Senate and then they... They're like, oh, we rich dog. We're gonna we're gonna invest in in low income housing in Oakland. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> that's basically what the conclusion of yeah, the movie wait, is. Yeah, wait, why is Wakanda investing in the United <laughs> States? What about the other places? Yeah, I, mean, I don't know. I don't know. Anyways, um, 
but there is there is an interesting tension within that movie. Now, I actually think that's why make that that's what makes Killmonger an interesting villain is that he his point is that it's selfish for them to um, to be isolationists. It's selfish for them to be the this sort of like um, like deeply nationalistic um, country when they have all these resources when they have all these things to. To share. Right. And then um, his expansion of it, though, is like extremist. When he takes power, he's like, Yeah, well, oh, we're going to share what I want to share. Right. Well, he, uh, yeah. I mean, he kind of turns into in, into a, a, a version of, of Black Hitler where he's like, We want this for for all black people. You right, know, like right. he, he's he, he like, he's he becomes very imperialistic. Um, oh, yeah. Very quickly. Um, which is interesting. It's an interesting arc. Uh, but in any case, he. Um, I don't know. I think it's, I think it's an interesting tension within, within the movie. Um, I don't think it's, I, I think it would be better if they never really resolved it. Um, they kind of give it a, uh, yay, a cla- everybody claps ending. Right. Um, but I think it would be more interesting to leave it as sort of this hanging tension over Wakanda is like, there is, because there is moral ambiguity in, in that. My argument is that, um, a, a country that has absolutely no ties to other countries is um, is insular and would not survive. Um, it would it would it would collapse. <laughs> this isn't realistic enough. This comic book movie society. No, I'm saying. I mean, I, it's okay. You can overanalyze it. I it, I don't think that's an over. <laughs> I think it's just it's just not how not how nations operate. Um, in yes, my mind. yes, yes, um, yes. And so that, to me, I know you you laugh because it's not realistic, and it's a uh, it, obviously it's not realistic because <laughs> it's a comic book movie. But I I do actually think that the fictionalized element of something doesn't make it um, less uh, doesn't make it incapable of being um, justified by the the laws of of what our world is. You know what I mean? I hear what you're saying. I think it really helps you suspend your disbelief easily. No, it, well, not just that, but it, it could actually say something about the world that we live in. Yeah. No, no, no. It, it could lean more into um, how people interpret it, right? Add more elements to that argument. Right. Um, a lot of people saw Black Panther, and, and also a lot of people saw Civil War, which I know I always talk about Civil War, and Cameron rolls his eyes because he doesn't, care for it or he or he really couldn't sit through it all i don't know what happened no i watched the whole thing i just uh you dude i love this movie (laughs) i love this movie it's so good um civil war is literally like a political thriller in my mind and the the part that sucks about civil war is that there's this big long airport battle (laughs) with a bunch of cameos and heroes that show up for a big fight yeah because the end of the movie isn't a big fight the end of the movie is a small fight between like two clashing sides um but yeah it's just it's kind of a political thriller in a lot of ways well the the moral question of that movie is do you put do you put some do you put a, a respect for authority over your own um moral compass do you put a respect for for the authority that is you know government or the legal structure or you know this this certain um faction of people that you trust over your own 
what you know is is right. Exactly. And and so that's embodied through Captain America who But you followed. know you know who said it better? Who? Martin Luther King Jr. in letters from Birmingham to jail. Well, I've never read those. You should. It, it's good. It sounds good. Um, but yeah, so Captain America is the embodiment of self um almost like self compass, right? And then Iron Man wants to put a self check kind of thing through authority. Yeah. And that clashes. And I love how the villain Zemo is just this guy who wants to watch it all burn. Yeah. Like his only plot focus is, Hey, I'm going to pit these two guys against each other and they'll fall apart because of it. And it kind of works. He's, the, he's one of the only, uh, Marvel villains that wins. Um, now Thanos wins in infinity war as well. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I always thought that was cool that it was like, dude, he won. Killmonger kind of wins too, to be honest. I don't know. He gets his he gets his low income housing in in Oakland. <laughs> it's what he it's what he's always wanted. Yeah, basically. Um, we're about to just go into utter mayhem with the Star Wars prequels, <laughs> but do you want to say anything about Game of Thrones that hasn't already been said? It's, yeah, sure. It's, it's a pretty clear uh, from what you've said. I haven't watched a lot of it, but it's pretty clearly a political. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. Basically what makes it really interesting or what used to make it really interesting as a show and why it worked is that it was, um, it was deeply tied to this idea that, um, in order to win, in order to survive, um, and in order to be, to gain any sort of political power, you have to be cutthroat. You can't, you can't have mercy. You can't be, be nice. You have to be ruthless. Um, you have to be a ruthless leader. And, um, and so that world is really interesting because I think it speaks to a certain amount. I think it speaks to something that we, we all already understand intuitively is that the people on top, the people in, in power, um, there's no good guys there. You know, there's no one who, who is, is righteous. They're all there because they were more ruthless than the last guy. Um, and that's why we have to, we have to keep our, um, you know, the people who we, who we give power in check. You know, that's something that we, that we do as, as a society. Yeah. Um, that, that always confused me with my experience with my parents, actually, they've, they've always been like, oh, like our our politicians are like great leaders, da 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 da. And the, the older I get, the more I'm like, I don't like them. You know, like I just, <laughs> I'm like, I don't, I don't believe that they're, they always have the best interest. I'm not saying that they're purely evil. I'm just saying. No, they just have like, their own interest in mind. Yeah. They, I think it's a, a good interpretation. I mean, I haven't watched a lot of Game of Thrones. I, I watched the first season and I was like, all right. But, but what, I mean, what makes it so real and so interesting is like, this is, this is a world where it doesn't really matter who the most moral person is. All that matters is, you know, usually we watch fiction and it's like the person who's right is going to win. You know what I mean? And and yeah. there's this like, um, I would say very positive and, um, and almost like idealistic vision of, of how the world is. But Game of Thrones really shuns that and says, no, it's not about the, it's not about the people who are most moral. In fact, those people die. Um, it's about the people who are willing to, to stab them in the back. You know, those are the people who are going to be ruling you. 
So it's a very cynical uh, show. It's a very cynical series of books. Um, but I think it's really true in a lot of ways. Um, mm. I think the the cynicism of it is what appeals to me as a fan is, is that like, you know that these people are, are bad. You know that these people are doing awful things. Um, and, and at, at a certain point, you also understand that that's what they have to do. You know, there's no other option. So yeah. I think your description of the show definitely makes me more interested in watching it, but yeah, it's a lot of time to sit down. Yeah, no, I understand. Commit to it. But you know what takes even more time is trying to understand what George Lucas was attempting to say See, in the Star the, Wars prequels. Here's the weird thing about this is underneath all of the BS, all of the the horrible uh, nonsense, the the bad dialogue, the bad writing, there's actually something very very interesting about what's going on in this world. Yeah, but like for a Star Wars film, it does not fit at all. I, uh, I mean, sure, sure. Maybe. I mean, if you took the title of Star Wars as face value, it could mean something. But well, like, let's just break it down. Let's okay. go from episode one. I mean, I know some of you who have listened to our show know we take some inspiration from different other content creators. So if we retrend some old ground, you know where it's probably coming from. Uh, we take we love the red letter media videos, yeah, on Star yeah, Wars. Yeah. But I honestly haven't watched those in a long time. I thought we we had a conversation before this trying to figure out what the heck was going on with the prequels. <laughs> so let's get into it, dude. What? What ha- what happens in these? Mo- okay, so so there's a trade federation which is basically like a big global trade co- or a, bi- a big um, galactic trade uh, conglomeration. What right? is that? It's a corporation that does shipping and receiving. Basically, that's so what it's they do. Amazon? No, 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 no. It's like Costco. C O S C O. Basically, they're just like big shipping. They like they they take things from one pl- resources from one planet to a- to another planet. That's okay. what they do. And they're really good at it too, apparently. Wow. Um, they're like they're like extremely powerful. So powerful that as a corporation they have representatives in the Senate. So talk about cronyism, but <laughs> whatever. What? So they've got they've got these representatives in the Senate. That's what Newt uh Gunray and the the represent other representatives are. Um and so they've they're they've grown into such a large um corporation basically that they have their own army they've got their own private sort of they've got a droid army that they built right right <laughs> and so and so they blockade naboo for some reason this is the phantom menace yes they blockade naboo for some reason i'm still confused on why they actually did this and i don't think anybody really understands why they do well the reason why they do it is because um emperor palpatine or sith lord palpatine he's not an emperor yet he um he convinces them to, to I'm, invade Naboo. Yeah. So like as a kid, I remember thinking that blockade was the name of the ship, the big donut hole <laughs> ship that they had outside of it. No, no, no. A blockade. And then is, I learned yeah. about what a blockade was at school. And I was like, <laughs> what was happening in episode one? <laughs> well, they were, they were, they were blockading the trade from Naboo. Um, and then they invaded like they actually invade in in episode 1 if you remember. No, I remember. I'm just like if they're blocking trade 
they just they why don't we ever see other ships getting like turned around Do they just shoot down ships that show up yeah well they try to shoot down the big silver ship that goes through that's but it's right. too small that's right which doesn't make that. any sense but yeah like a small freighter apparently can get through uh, a trade blockade i don't know <laughs> it's just one big donut what if you go on the other side of the planet is there another big donut i think it's all around they have donuts all around yeah the i think they they're surrounding the planet with donuts wow what if you try to go under the donuts <laughs> donuts <laughs> what if you go under the donut like planets are so big how yeah, does a yeah, trade how does blockade a tra- even work you know what i don't know i'm not convinced about the physics of it okay but any in any case i'm confused more less about the trade blockade like the, the how it works then why they would do it because aren't if they're a trade federation why would they block naboo from from being a part of it Maybe, like, are they maybe, selling illicit drugs? Are they? We really that, don't get an explanation. Is for it, it that Naboo hasn't traded with them, and so they're like, "Fine, you don't want to trade with us. You don't well, get to trade with anyone." The Trade Federation is a separatist party, so they don't want to be in the Galactic Senate. But isn't Naboo isolationist or something? They're on their little hippie planet. No, I think they're part of the Senate. But but which is confusing though because Queen Amidala becomes Senator Al- Amidala, right? She like almost demotes herself <laughs> to become part of the the Galactic Senate. So I don't know who who was was it that guy that old man Jimmy? Um, <laughs> Jimmy. <laughs> no, you know who I'm talking about. Was he the senator before the senator from uh, Naboo? Jimmy. Well, in any case, Palpatine, he convinces... The guy with the goatee, right? Yes. That's, yeah, yes. that's Jimmy something. Jimmy. His actor name is actually... Jimmy Buffett? G- uh, is that it? No, it's not Jimmy oh. Buffett. He, he's a singer. Um, he's in Rogue One, right? No. Yeah, he is. Is he? Yeah. Oh, jeez. He's in the... He's next to Mon Mothma. Mon Mothma? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Does, the same how actor. How old is that guy? He's he's old in it because he would be old in the Star Wars universe. But he's old already in in episode one. Maybe that I'm was not, like I'm not thinking the same guy. Though. That was like sixty years. I'm before. thinking of the guy who's on uh, Tanif Four. No, 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 no. That's that's um that's, Jimmy Smith or whatever. Yes, his name I is. know who you're talking yeah. about. Yeah. No, 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 no. That's the guy. That's. Uh, Who's he? What's his political alliance? No, he's he's the the king of Alderaan. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. Okay, yeah, yeah, um, and that's where Princess Princess Leia comes from. Boy, this he's, is get, this is getting deep quick. Yeah, it's deep in the weeds. <laughs> okay, so so we've got this trade federation who's blockading the uh, Naboo because Palpatine says so. Palpatine wants to do it because he is trying to get. Um, support to consolidate power in the Senate. This is what it, he's he's trying to get sympathy votes. Basically, remember what he does is he's he's like I need to be the supreme chancellor. He's basically like Guy Verhofstadt. He's trying to get uh, like it's like when the president when the United States goes to war, the president suddenly has like full power. Do you yes. know what I'm talking about? Yes, yes, exactly, exactly. Yeah, he's trying to be like uh, he, he's trying to invoke war powers. Yeah, exactly. Um, but but that what he that is trying to consolidate his reign in the Senate, and then and then what happens in in episode two, right? Um, so that's the uh, so there's a failed invasion of Naboo, um, by the Trade Federation. A bunch of uh, local hippies show up from the swamp. They get yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> a bunch of weird weird. I fish mean, people. granted, granted, it's just a little small private security force for a trade group. It makes sense how they could beat them, but yeah, yeah. yeah. But that Trade Federation has freaking tanks, dude. 
Yeah, I mean, like they were multiple tanks. I can't. I always forget that they have like a full on assault, and they have like battle plans and everything in that movie. Yeah, remember they're like talking beforehand. They're like, they're like, oh, blah blah blah, and then they remember when Jar Jar's on top of the tank uh, shaft. Yeah, thing, and then they kill swinging. them all because they blow up the big donut. Maybe it is only one big donut, because, like... <laughs> they blow up one donut, and then all the droids shut down. Yeah, yeah. Wow. That's ridiculous. I wonder what happens to all those droids. Well, it's basically, like, like the the season of Game of Thrones, pretty much. This is what happens. Um, in any case, um, so in episode two, there's a, f- there's a foiled pl- plot to assassinate the queen. Right, wait, before you do that, <laughs> what about Qui-Gon Jinn commenting on the separatists oh yeah he's like he's like he's like oh they're invading naboo and or or uh obi-wan is like they're invading it's an invasion army and then he's like that doesn't make any sense <laughs> basically is what he says i can't remember the quote he's like he's like he's that like would risky be a risky play or something that would like be an that. odd move yeah uh yeah which is like it's so funny Trade Not federations even, they're just blowing their cash they're having like uh success parties every friday yeah you know? well they still i mean they still apparently did pretty well, I guess. I don't know. What did they get out of that? Well, they got assassinated. In maybe because three. they made. Um, maybe because the Trade Federation made. No, uh, Padme joined the Senate. She's forced into this thing that trades with them. Well, they don't want to be in the Senate. This is the thing. They get kicked out in Episode Two because they invaded. Remember? I don't remember. So, this. so they're they're part of the separatist alliance, and right. then they go into it's called like the Federation of Independent States. I think it's called. Um, How do you know this <laughs> on the top of your head? I don't know, man. I, I hate these movies. In any case, um, they leave, and remember they're in this big like um, they're stalactite cave. With Count Dooku? Yeah, I remember that. They're yeah, hanging yeah. out on Geonosis. Now they're like, oh, we got kicked out or something. Yeah, yeah. That, and so they're meeting in closed doors with, with evil men with red lightsabers. Yes. Never a good thing. Yeah. Um, but basically, they apparently, the, it, this movie opens with them trying to assassinate um, Queen, now oh. Senator Amidala. R- right. But twice, twice, actually, they do it. So one, they blow up her ship, and then the next time they put bugs in her window, <laughs> which is ridiculous. Why wouldn't they just blow blow up the window? I know. Wouldn't that be a real political thrill if like Padme just got sniped in the brain yeah. from the window? Yeah, I mean, I, it'd be interesting. There's but, no more Luke and Leia though after that. Yeah, I but forget that but, she's the one. That why did they them. do that? Why are they trying to assassinate Amidala? Uh, because they're still salty about the Naboo invasion. <laughs> About how how it failed. I don't know. It, it, that's what confused me too, because they're like they're trying to assassinate her. Why? And then she runs back to her home planet of Naboo. Yeah, she goes back to Naboo, which is now which is a really poor idea, I would say. Well, like if you were trying to flee from an assassination, why would you go home? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like you could either be in two places, the Senate. But to or be home. fair, she never dies. She gets kidnapped? How did she get... Wait, how did how did they get on Geonosis? It's like they're on Naboo having a good time and then... Hanging out in the fields. For some reason, they end up at... There's like Vaseline on the on the camera lens. They they uh, they end up at um, Tatooine. 
Yeah, they go to Tatooine. Oh, yeah, because they're trying to find Anakin's mom. What a stupid idea. I what are they doing? I don't know what happened. It's like Anakin got a page or something. He got <laughs> a force page. And then he is like, oh, like I have to go back home because my mom is sick. But does Padme go there? Yeah, she's like, all right, we'll go because you're hot or what something. What an idiotic idea. Remember last time they went to Tatooine? Honestly, Tatooine's probably safer than Naboo, to be honest. Why? Because it it's in the Outer Rim? It would have made sense because, you know what they should have done to make that make sense, is they should have had droids show up on Naboo and try to kill her again. Mm-hmm. And then be like, obviously this place isn't safe, we should go somewhere else. I don't know, start a second invasion? No, like, like they'll just send some more assassins. Oh, assassin droids? And then Anakin could have just been like, Okay, I know the place to go. We'll yeah, go to my, it's we'll this, go to my home. Uh, yeah, this desert planet where nobody will find us there. Where uh, you know these these galactic gangsters basically hang out and sell illicit drugs. And then they end yeah, up. Yeah, that G- seems they, like a good idea. They end up on Geonosis because they get a message from Obi Wan who's calling. And he's like, "Hey, I'm here on Geonosis, and uh, oh no, I'm getting attacked by droidicas." <laughs> and then like the hologram. <laughs> You know what I'm talking about? Yes, 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 yes. Yeah. So, so, but he goes, he goes to to uh, k- k- what is it? What's the Camino? Camino. Yeah, he goes to Camino with those long neck people, and he finds the secret <laughs> army that they've been building. And he's like, wait, what is all this? Which, to be fair, he probably should have known because this was like a Qui Gon initiative. Is that what they said? Yeah. I don't. I don't know. I think that was a lie. You think? I think that they were just like, hmm. I don't think anybody knew about the clone army. Maybe Yoda. But I the mean, clone army was like, it was like part of the Senate's plan. No. Remember on the planet on Camino, they're like, oh, like syphilis, like put in the order or whatever. Syphilis? Like Darth, Darth Syphus or, or they said this hmm. person put in the order like the, 50 years ago. Right, right. They're like, right, they put it in, uh, the order in a long time ago. So we've been making these clones for a long time. Like, this yeah, has been in the yeah, works yeah. for a long time. And Obi-Wan's like, wait, what? Like, what do you mean? Like, how long? Why do we have this army? And then nobody really cares afterwards, you know? Yeah, like, everybody's they're like, oh, like, this is going to be a big problem, a secret army. <laughs> the Senate is, like, very, like, peaceful. And then all of a sudden, they're like, no, we're going to deploy. We're going to deploy right, right now, right? Right, right, right. Um, I'm trying to look up why why they actually have this army. Um, dang. I'm Grand pre- Army of the Republic. Uh, I'm pretty sure it's just like oh, an order by... Uh, although the clone army was originally envisioned by Jedi Master Sifo-Dyas. Yes, that's um, what, yeah. Who secretly commissioned the Kaminoan clones to create an army for the Republic. The clones were ultimately repurposed, blah, blah, blah. See, syphilis. He did it. No, Sifo-Dyas. I was close. I guess, yeah. Um, yeah, so, I mean, that's interesting because, like... So it was a Jedi. Yeah, it was a Jedi. But he's not a real... I don't think he's a real Jedi. Yeah, he is. Is he? Yeah. So Yoda knew about it then. Yeah, What's up with Yoda these creepy old Jedi? But remember, Kamino was was expunged from the database. Right. He, he couldn't find the, the thing on the map. Remember? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Like these movies are so interesting to talk about and they're dreadful to watch. Horrible to watch. Yeah. But, but okay, so then so then they find this clone army. He why does why does Obi Wan go to go to Geonosis? 
Uh, oh, he gets chased. He gets chased by Django Fett. Django Fett, and then he just happens to be on the planet that. No, he tracks Django Fett. That's where he goes. Yeah, he tracks Django Fett because Django Fett is working as a double agent. He's working for the Republic. He's building this army, and he's. Why does he attack Obi Wan? Django Fett is not a double agent. Django Fett is the prime choice for the clones. Yeah. Right. So that's why he lives on Camino because they're like, oh, you're like this super awesome. Oh, we gotta get your DNA, dude. yeah. And so we're gonna use your DNA and create an army right off you. And he's like, cool. Can I have a place to crash then? <laughs> and so, like, <laughs> so then he lives there, right? But at the same time, he's been contracted to pull off that assassination for um, the separatists. Yeah, which he hires another bounty hunter that he to kills. Do. That he Later, kills. because she sucks. Confusing. Confusing. Yeah, why doesn't he just do it? Yeah, why doesn't he just do it? <laughs> no loose ends. <sense>. Okay, <laughs> no loose ends. Um, so, okay, so here's the... Yeah, if he's this like... Oh, maybe that's why. Because if he were caught, that would somehow lead them to Camino, and they're not supposed to know about the mm-hmm. army. And so, yeah, I don't know. It's such... Like, it's but a, why it's does a he spider's attack, web, dude. Why does he attack Obi-Wan? Because remember, they're like... They're, they're buddy-buddy. Like they're buddy, out. Buddy. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're chill. And then Obi-Wan's like, so what's the deal with you? Because I'm looking for where this dart came from. Like, you were the one that killed mm, the other yes, assassin, yes, right? Yes. And Jango Fett's like, never seen it. I don't know, <laughs> dude. And then, like, they have, like, that little conflict, and he throws his little uh, magnet disc on the ship and right, follows him. Right, um, He follows him to Geonosis. Well, we're not doing a plot summary, Cameron. We're doing the political reading. Yes, sorry. So sorry. what's the deal with, like... So the Trade Federation have now become a, a force against the Republic. Their right? biggest gigawatt factory is on Geonosis for some reason. Yes. They're building tons of droids there. Because there's lots of bugs that they can harvest. Maybe like maybe they're I, I don't know I'm sure some Star Wars nerds like well the lore says they use the plasmid from the bugs no. larvae to create the droid fluid or something. Um, okay, but yeah, and so they're there for some reason on this desert planet where nothing's going on, um, and you know, and then uh, and then they get captured obviously because this is a stupid idea for Anakin to bring the target of of his of uh, like this political assassination to the to the place where the assassination is going to happen right they get captured right and they all get in a coliseum really inefficient way to to execute your political yeah why why are they doing a show is maybe that's like for the bugs the the bugs they need to watch blood or something yeah well they've got a coliseum for i mean it's not for nothing right that's a good point um so you'd you think know. they'd have like rugby in there every other weekend. Yeah, or something. Well, you'd think they'd kill Amidala first, and then and then have, have the, the Jedi be fun. To yeah, watch, yeah. Right? If they wanted to be, I mean, like I'm not gonna suggest that they kill Amidala, but like if they wanted to be efficient about this, <laughs> um, yeah. And who's Count Dooku, dude? Count Dooku, he's working for the Separatists. I'll, I mean, he's, he's just like a hired assassin he or he's no, like he's a sith he's like that ceo that got hired out they're like ah oh, yeah we've seen your work before yeah he's working for the board um the board who is just emperor palpatine he hires him to to join along with the with the separatists because you know if you think about it um 
like Emperor Palpatine, all he's doing is pitting two sides against each other. Yeah. He's really just an accelerationist too. He's like, he's like, oh, I'm going to have these guys fight with the clones that are already set up. Perfect. I'm going to take control of the clones. Awesome. And I'm going to have them fight with the, with the separatists so that I can declare that this is an emergency and then rise to political power. Which leads us into episode three. I don't think there's much else to talk about episode two besides deployment of clones. Yeah. So now that everyone's at war, right? Episode three starts with like some combat over Coruscant and the emperor is captured. What kind of play? I I don't like, Oh yeah. Yeah. He's captured by, by Grievous, but he's working for Grievous. No, Grievous is working for him. So he's captured oh, yeah, by yeah. Dooku and Grievous, right? And then he's sitting in a throne. Have you, did you notice that? Yeah, Like yeah, he's yeah. sitting in a throne with Count Dooku in that room. It's poetry. It and rhymes. He's, and he's like, help me. I'm stuck. You and know? then kill, kill Dooku. And Dooku dies. And Dooku's like, WTF, dude. Like, Well, he's partners. really playing. Think about this. Uh, Palpatine is playing on th- on two fronts. Three fronts, actually. He's pitting the Jedi against each other. Right. This is one of his. Well, he's trying to kill the Jedi, actually. Right. Um, he's trying to consolidate political power in in the Senate so that he can rise to to empire stat, emperor status. Right. Which everybody just kind of goes along with. Like, I don't really understand. At the end of at the end of two or at the end of one, he's like, he's like, I'm going to be the supreme chancellor, blah, blah, blah. And then he becomes the supreme chancellor. And then at the end of three, he has another speech where he's like, I'm severely <laughs> deformed and, and we, I need ultimate power. This is how the Republic dies. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> And then all the all the ET aliens are clapping and cheering, and then you know everybody else is like, "Yeah, we want an emperor." What about you know? My question is, why is Jar Jar put on the Senate? I mean, have you heard the theories that he caused the, the downfall of the of the Republic? <laughs> no, <laughs> yeah, because Jar Jar is just a a peasant in the war or in the small scuffle on Naboo, right? Yeah, he was. Just- well, he becomes a senator from Naboo. But remember, he makes a he makes a speech endorsing Emperor Palpatine. I yeah, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> I think Jar Jar is a huge pawn in this. He in is, this scheme, of course, he is, know? of course, he is. There, yeah. there's a lot going on in these prequels. Yeah, and so you know you have political allies like Jar Jar with the Emperor. <laughs> Which doesn't make any sense. <laughs> and uh, you know. You got Jimmy Schmidt saying, <laughs> you got to get these kids out of the Jedi temple, right? You got, well, okay. So let me go back to what I was saying. He's trying to consolidate power. He's trying to, to execute the Jedi, right? Order six, right, execute right. order 66. And then he, and then he, um, he is trying to recruit a new, young, fresh, hotter version of Count Dooku. <laughs> well, okay. But uh, here's the thing. Hold up. Like. Can you like Emperor Palpatine? He's just making friends the whole time. Yeah, he's the he perfect is. politician. He's just he's making friends with enemies. He's like, dude, you're gonna work for me. You're gonna work for me, and then he screws them all over at the perfect time, mm-hmm. right? When he gets his fresh new hot uh, Count Dooku, Anakin Skywalker, he's like, hey, go tie up the loose ends over there on Mustafar. <laughs> the, the Trade Federation, they're kind of just like, how are we not winning if the guy, yeah, yeah, on exactly. the other team said we would win? Right. Well, they would be, you see, because they're probably ultra 
like capitalist like they're probably like like they're like we just want free market and, yeah yeah you and, know and that doesn't jive with an empire you know what i mean like he's gotta he's gotta have like tight control on this i like how they're sitting on the lava planet and they're like you know we probably didn't make the best decisions for our company <laughs> and then this guy shows up in a hood just kills them all <laughs> how brutal is that he's like yeah yeah I mean, yeah, that's the confusing thing is they probably were like, were like, oh, this is great for business. You know I what would I mean? love to see like a Star Wars story about Newt Gunray's Trade Federation business and just almost have it be like a, I, I haven't seen Wolf of Wall Street, but like almost like a white collar drama mm, mm, mm. where he's like, man, like the government's beating us down, but like it showed the good years with Newt Gunray where he's just balling. He's got everything. And then this company slowly falls apart. And he's doing his- Coke on, on girls. He's like, and then it just ends. It just ends with him being slaughtered at a lava facility. I mean, that's what's going wow. on behind the scenes. You know, George Lucas is a genius, dude. Basically, I mean, basically like all of the most interesting parts of this story Are happen off screen. <laughs> And then just some or, some dumb young young kid who's taking his his lover around. Oh, this is pod racing. It was like it was like I'm gonna protect you from the trade federation. I've heard this said multiple times, but the Star Wars prequels would be way more interesting if they focused on the things that they didn't focus on. Oh yeah, hundred percent. In in, yeah. in those films, like they literally put the lens on the wrong things. Yeah. Remember movies. when he's in the elevator and he's like, I haven't had this much excitement since we since we escaped from that lava pit full of gun docks. Yeah. <laughs> and you're like, well, I wanna see that. <laughs> can we yeah. go can we go over there? <laughs> can we watch you do something interesting? These movies are so boring, but they're so like And not cut some bugs in half. Dude, the prequels are funny to me. They're really, really funny. Yeah. I just like, I mean, you know this. I still play Star Wars Battlefront 2 yeah. on PlayStation. And one of the biggest enjoyments I get is because the prequels are coming out when I was a kid, playing like the prequel maps and just like goofing off, like having mm. Anakin Skywalker force push General Grievous into a glitchy ragdoll through <laughs> like, you know, off off the trees of Kashyyyk. Like it's just to me, I'm like, I'm cracking up, dude. Mm-hmm. This this game makes me like, I'm like, please add Jar Jar as a hero. Like I just I why want- did they kill all of the all the Wookiees? Why do they invade Kashyyyk? Do you remember? This is what's weird is that there's just a ton of wars happening in Revenge of the Sith. There's right? like lots of invasions. Constant invasions. Out. I think this is where the, the funds are getting tight for the Trade Federation, mm-hmm. right? They're really just like, dude, we got Well, they hire hire some outside mercenaries. That's what Grievous is. Yeah. He's just some guy who's kind of working for both... Both Emperor Palpatine. I think Grievous is sort of like a narcissistic, power hungry dude where he's like, Yeah, like I'll join, I'll take an army. And then he's like, Wait, you guys have a Sith on your side? He's like, Please train me. Please, please train me. He's like uh, the lead singer of an opening band, right? (laughs) Where he's like, Oh, dude, please, like I just want to be as famous as you. Like, teach me how you do it, right? Yeah, but he's mostly robot, so he can't really be a. And he's coughing. You know, he's already on his way out. He's sick. Ridiculous. I like Grievous. I think his design is cool. And he comes... Where's his planet? What's his planet? Most of... uh, uh, What's his planet called? He dies on Utapau, but I don't know... Utapau, I don't know where he's from. Well, that's where his, like, base is. Remember? I don't think so. Yeah. I don't... I don't think so. Yeah, he's got, like, his big army there. Well, he's got a big army there, but I think the clones invade Utapau, not because... Is it because Grievous is there? Yeah. 
I don't know. He's like a general in the Trade Federation's army. That that whole planet reminds me of Bugs Life. Because there's like a bunch of holes mm. in the dirt. Mm. Or what's the bug movie, animated bug movie, where they're like falling through the dirt cracks? Ants. Yeah, that's the one. Freaking <laughs> ants, dude. It's scarred into my memory. Where he gets his he gets his head chopped off and then he's like holding the guy's head. Oh. oh. Remember that? Yeah, I do. Scary. I had to watch that VHS over and over again. Is that like, a toy <laughs> is that a Toy Story One? And you know, I usually pick Toy Story One. So. Yeah. It's a better movie. You want to sure. wrap it up? Yeah, dude, we're done at this point. Yeah, we're done. I mean, if you sat through all of that, you really do you really must have been interested by the title of this episode. <laughs> What was that, dude? I'm I'm st- I'm still interested in in exploring how this universe is. Uh, how could he mess it up so bad? I man? think we're just in awe of how you know clever George Lucas did with the with the prequels and and how how much of that was missed in translation. Yep, the people were, the the prequels were great. Just kidding, they weren't. They, they weren't. Sucked. They were pretty trash. Yeah. They're pretty trash. And with that, we'll be back next week with hopefully better content than this. <laughs> uh, we appreciate you guys' support and listening. Um, if you could bear to support us at Patreon, you can check us out at patreon.com slash podcast. And uh, we appreciate you guys for listening, especially if you're a Star Wars nerd. That was a big random rant about nothing. But, yeah, I don't know what else to say, Cameron. No, that's it. That's fun. <laughs> <laughs>